haven't done one in ages, even though, well, I did record eight hours of Cerebro this week, so I guess I was podcasting. <laughs> I, I, I literally recorded a podcast with Andrew like two days ago, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys thought we not a break. Okay, we know what we're doing. Let's yeah, do it. We're fine. Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, everyone watches with shock and awe and, in Kitty Pride's case, disappointment, as Megan and Brian's, quote, deep impassioned love, end quote, explodes to save the world in Excalibur number 110, Hearts Bled Crimson. Excalibur number 110 was originally published in June 1997, and the creative team is Ben Robb on writing, Salvador LaRocca on pencils, Scott Koblish on inks, Kevin Tinsley on colors, Richard Starkings and Comic Craft on letters, and Matt Idelson and Paul Tatron on editing. Let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore, let it go. Welcome back to the podcast that hasn't talked nearly enough about super sex of late, but we'll get back to it today, among other formal topics. But who are we? Starting with myself, I am Dr. Anna Papard, a person who's deeply passionate about super sex, along with representations of gender in comics and pop culture. I'm also the co-project lead of Sequential Scholars, where we're probably wrapping up discussion of Mariko and Jillian Tamaki's skim at the time of this episode dropping. I am also Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager, and in that capacity, I'm demanding a retroactive retraction of the panel that pictures the underside of his diaper style costume with no junk in sight um but uh moving on i'm joined as always by mav which angles are you pursuing this week uh. <laughs> <laughs> i, I forget we, we we've taken a couple weeks off i don't know that i remember how to do this um hi <laughs> my name is christopher maverick but you can call me mav i am a teaching assistant professor of digital narrative interactive design at the university of pittsburgh i'm the host of this show and another show called Vox Popcast. I'm the editor of Academic Collection of Essays, forthcoming called um, Batman Also Starring. So you know, submit to that if you have interesting ideas. And I read this and I was like, wow, this is um, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's my impression yeah. today. So yeah. there's so a I'm lot of you... there's a lot of penis arms. I, I definitely <laughs> want to talk about that. There, there, there's a lot going on, um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to like discussing the advent of using Photoshop filters, like you know, mm. inverse in in comics. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, some digital effects going on here for Someone sure. Someone discovered adjustment layers. So, you know. Yep. <laughs> we can certainly talk about that. Looking forward to some more formal discussions this week as we're back to talking about La Roca. Andrew, are you feeling formal this fine day? Uh, in my not attempting Russian whatsoever accent voice. Mm. Nyet Anna, if you're going to fly off to mediate this podcast you created half-cocked, hush now, little one. I promise you we will do everything in our power if you'll just stop being all hysterical and crazy. Wow. There's a scene I don't like in this comic. That's my way of pushing it. I'm Andrew. Hi. I do uh, Sequential Scholars and um, St. Jerome's University. And I'm Megan's biggest fan. So there you go. Are you still? (laughs) Not when Colossus talks to her like that. You know, we're going to talk about her in relation to super sex, which, you know, I like until I don't. So we'll, we'll get to okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> our, our intrepid and clearly enthusiastic squad is joined this week by a phenomenal comic scholar who we are beyond lucky to have gracing our pod shores. We are ecstatic to welcome Dr. Barbara Postema. Hello, Barbara. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> We're so, so, so very happy to have you. Um, Just absolutely thrilled to have you with us. And we're going to talk lots about your research and um, dig into some of these choices that LaRocca makes here and whether they make sense. Um, But uh, we'll get to it. Um, Let me do your bio first, and then we'll come right back to you for your comics origin story. So Dr. Barbara Postema is known for publications on wordless comics, on Canadian and American comics, and on form and narratology. Her work has been recognized by associations in the US, Brazil, New Zealand, and Germany, leading to invitations to present keynote lectures and to the translation of her monograph, Narrative Structure in Comics, Making Sense of Fragments, into Brazilian Portuguese. Barbara is a former president of the Canadian Society of the Study of Comics and a founding member of the Comics Studies Society. She is also a co-editor of the Wilfrid Laurier University Press book series, Crossing Lines. So I've known you for a long time, Barbara, and I had to reminisce a little bit about the first time I at least... uh, interacted with you from afar which was at the launch of your book narrative structure and comics and uh i was a grad student and i went to your book launch down at uh ryerson the former ryerson now toronto metropolitan and i remember like i have such a clear memory of being like of working up the courage to ask you a question because you seem so smart and cool and like i don't know i'm so grateful to have gotten to interact with you so many more times over the years so i had to start with a little bit of gushing i apologize <laughs> i never thought i never thought all these years later we would be podcasting about excalibur that possibility never entered my mind but i'm so grateful no no mine either but, and i can't believe it's been 10 years yeah, since it's... since that launch and uh, now you have a book and andrew has a book and so so much has happened since then craziness but let's go oh. back even further to your comics origin story barbara um tell me the story of how you first came to comics how you first fell in love with comics have you been a comics reader your whole life i have i re- i can remember reading asterix before i was reading words and um, mm-hmm. so i've <laughs> Uh, yeah, spent uh, spent a lot of my childhood reading comics. I grew up in the Netherlands, so those were European comics, lots of Tintin and Lucky Luke and uh, Suske and Viska and stuff like that. So I guess kind of absorbing visual reading as I as I was growing up. And like, how did that how did that journey kind of progress over the course of your life? Like, did you continue reading comics, or have you had one of those things that often happens to us where we fall out and fall back in again? I don't think I ever stopped there's not a period where I just stopped reading comics uh they just sort of changed over time so 
at one point, then from Asterix and things, I started reading Mobius. Uh, and then I fell into reading English graphic novels. And that was, that was when I was studying English. So I was doing literary studies and then read things like Mouse and Ghost World. And at that point, that began to kind of blend with what I was doing in my, in my bachelor studying English. So it was like, ah, the kind of analysis that works on this Paul Oster novel that I'm reading or this Don DeLillo thing could totally also work for <laughs> comics. So that's, except you have to talk about pictures, which makes it so much more fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then I decided that that would be what I would do for my PhD. And that, yeah, thankfully that worked out. Well, let me ask you to dig into that a little bit more. Like, what was the process for you like in terms of, yeah, pursuing the study of comics? Like, was it something that you felt supported in doing? Did you encounter pushback? Like, what was that process like for you? So I, I could not do that in the Netherlands. And turned out I also couldn't do it in the UK at the time. So that was part of the reason why I ended up in the US for my, for my graduate studies for my PhD and Michigan State's had an amazing comics collection, still do. Mm. Um, so, yeah, for me, that ended up being a good place to do it. I didn't really find too much resistance for my topic, but also there wasn't all that much support. So I had an advisor who was enthusiastic but didn't read comics herself. Right. Um, and so Been there. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, yeah, just, you know, now I think... It's pretty common that there's uh, graduate courses on comics uh, or certainly undergraduate courses on comics. I never took a single course on comics because they were not available. So it was partly teaching myself and the special collection on comics at Michigan State was very useful. And the librarian, Randy Scott, was very knowledgeable. So that was helpful. But yeah, I was kind of picking things that I thought were important, like also learning the history of comics and getting to know all these different forms and genres. And then it was so nice to, to meet the community of comic scholars. And then it felt like, oh, yeah, this is where I belong. Yeah. And so things like the, the CSSC and a book launch where there's people that are all clearly enthusiastic about comics, those things are so important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's unpack your specific interest in comics a little bit more, and that'll give us a chance to talk about kind of the thesis of your book a little bit too. For sure. You know, clearly you really wanted to study comics, and it was really important to you, and you saw it intersecting with the study of literature that you were undertaking. But what was it about comics that felt so special to you? Like, what was it that felt so urgent to you? And does it relate to the thesis of your book about making sense of fragments? It does. I think. Comics are very active uh, way of reading, or I think they ask for an active uh, way of reading where you have to parse things together yourself because they are so fragmented. So make it, you know, finding in sometimes quite abstract images, figuring out what means what across panels, panel layouts, page layouts, all those things leave stuff out that you're asked to, to fill in. And stories, that narrative always does that. And so that's partly where I think my literary studies thing kicked in, um, is that you're, you're used to reading in terms of narratology, you're used to filling in gaps or figuring out at least what, where the gaps are and what they mean. Um, but with comics that become so very literal. Um, so that's mm -hmm. something that I yeah really wanted to uh, dig into how that, how that worked. And also... Uh, yeah, just kind of establish a way of, of talking about that that um, allows you know, a whole community of scholars to do that. Well, let me ask you a little bit more about 
Mm, I'm trying to decide what direction I want to take this in because I want to talk more about fragments and gaps, but I was like, what's the best way to do that? Because one of the things related to that that I did want to talk to you about, like one of the things that I think is particularly valuable about your book, I mean, your book is great in many, many ways and everybody should go out and read it. But I really Mm -hmm. value the fact that you talk about multiple genres of comics because Mm. the comic studies field is often so divided between, you know, people who do, particularly people who do autobio and people who do superhero comics. So obviously there are many genres beyond that but those are Mm -hmm. sort of two big areas in which people seem to find themselves located and you don't do that you talk about multiple genres and you apply sort of this concept of filling in the gap and dynamics of fragmentation to these multiple genres and really show how it's sort of a consistent aspect of how all types of comics work and that was really eye-opening for me to have you compare those different genres and and emphasize that consistency even though the technique works very different depending on what genre or type or era of comics we're talking about But I thought, could I ask you about the intentionality of that choice? Like, was that something that you were responding to in terms of there being an absence of comparing those different genres? Or was that just something that interested you? Um, It was something that interested me. It was also something that uh, I think I was daunted by, say, Mouse. So I don't think I, I I barely talked about Mouse in the book, even though that was part of my whole reason for doing it. But I thought it was important to recognize that these things that are so interesting to find in comics in the way that they tell stories, in the way that they combine combine bits and pieces into a coherent story, that it's not just exceptional texts like Mouse that do that, but that newspaper strips do that as well. And mass-produced sort of, you know, on two short deadlines, um, superhero comics do the same thing, that a lot of these reading processes apply across any kind of Uh, genre or printing format of comics and so it's important to recognize that Um, whatever you have to say about you know uh, however deeply a text speaks to you those processes are are there regardless Um, whether it's whether whether it's a comic that's that's meant to be thrown out the next day or whether it's a, a comic that takes you two two weeks just to read that one book yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's definitely something that I come up against. I don't want to typecast anything, but I seem to come up against that problem in particular when I read sort of more of literary focused analysis of especially autobio, though, though indie mm-hmm. work in general, that again, it's from a literary background and it'll see these techniques like, oh, they put panels on top of each other or like, (laughs) there's like, this doesn't have a border. What a like dynamic, like groundbreaking effect. I'm like, well, I mean, that technique is like a hundred years old, but I mean, you know, and shows up in a comic like a Salvador La Roca comic in which I think we would all agree some of these techniques don't work as well as they could have in a comic (laughs) like this yeah so I mean that's partly why it's so eye-opening right because I mean when you're breaking down the specifics of how it's functioning in different moments that's so important you know to interpreting comics I want to say correctly but I'll say complexly with the complexity that they deserve (laughs) yes yeah, and I think because for me, for that, knowing some of that history and having kind of a, a broad range of, of comics that one has been introduced to is important as well. And I, of course, read autobiographical comics, and right now I'm thinking more along the lines of, of graphic medicine and things like that. But also, I just really like fictional stories, um, and the more genre, the better in some cases. Mm. So I think it's, yeah, that's that's when I get really excited about uh, doing analysis and interpretation. Mav, you wanted to jump in with something you can if you want. 
No, no, no. I'm, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> I, was, I was saying, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no worries. Okay, well, let's get to the issue summary then and start unpacking some of these La Roca pages. We had a we had a week off from La Roca because we were a little bit out of order with doing the minus one issue last week. So yeah. I'm eager to get back to it. Let's do it. I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. We definitely wouldn't do to you whatever Megan does to Brian in this issue unless it was deeply, deeply consensual. <laughs> um, just to prove how sweet we are, here's a plot summary. Excalibur number 110 opens with a splashy splash of our regular team of misfits plus Spiral arriving in Hong Kong near the base where Brian Braddock is currently being held captive by the Dragons of the Crimson Dawn. No one trusts Spiral, which is warranted since she immediately tries to renege on their partnership. Luckily, though, a ghost shows up to help them in the form of the mysterious spectral presence <laughs> Zyandu, the same dude Megan saw warning her about Brian being in danger in the last issue. Zyandu tells Megan about the origins of the Dragons of the Crimson Dawn, who sought power to protect China during the fall of the Ming Dynasty, but ultimately went mad with power, killing one-time fellow dragon Zyandu in the process. Megan then pleads with Zyandu to help them defeat the living dragons who, as you'll recall, are trying to exploit Brian's power to unleash the Crimson Dawn upon the world. What exactly that means is anyone's guess, but just roll with it. Meanwhile, inside the base, Brian continues to resist the dragons, but his resolve is wavering amid intense pain. Thankfully, it turns out both Zyandu and Spiral ultimately helped out Excalibur and have arrived to save Brian. As the battle rages, Megan is told by Zyandu that it is her love for Brian that will save the world. Brian manages to reverse the energy spell so that his powers begin flowing back into him. You, th- you think it's Zyandu? Yeah, I looked it up. Well, I looked it up too, and that's what it told Because I assumed it would be Shandu. <laughs> I think yeah. it says it's Xianzu. <laughs> Sianzu. That's like more accurate. But well, I, this I conversation should just stay in the of... podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's just keep it in the podcast. We're that was just... a footnote from Mandarin Matt, apparently. Oh, okay. Thank <laughs> you for that. <laughs> um, let's try the final paragraph of this summary, uh, doing that a little better. As the battle rages, Megan is told by Sian Du that it is her love for Brian that will save the world. Brian manages to reverse the energy spell so that his powers begin flowing back into him, but he can't reabsorb the energy fast enough. That's where Megan comes in. She helps him absorb the power and seal the dimensional rift as Excalibur looks on thirstily. In the ensuing sort of chaos, the dragons escape, <laughs> vowing revenge on as villains do. And the next morning, Brian and Megan have a heart-to-heart in which Brian reveals that because he's lost his power sealing the rift, he wants some time alone to reconnect with himself. He says he won't blame Megan if she doesn't wait for him, but Megan says she'll wait forever. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go hard on Brian, and not in a sexy way in this episode. But uh, anyway, <laughs> Barbara, we are cruelly dropping you into the end of a too many parts story. Although I'm not totally sure how much the lead up is is that relevant to what we have here. But let's start with some first impressions. What interested you? Baffled you? What are you particularly interested in talking about? Yeah, I thought it was a su- surprisingly coherent given that I hadn't read any of the backstory. So that, that worked pretty well. Great. Um, I don't read a lot of team comics. So one thing that struck mm. me is that so many of the panels are super crammed to be able to put in all the characters. So despite the assumption that people have been reading this, everyone is kind of introduced by their, their real name. Uh, so there's like Nightcrawler, the young Scots lycanthrope Rani Sinclair, but she's also introduced as Wolfbane. And then just to make sure that we know that she's Scottish, she speaks, she says I <laughs> yeah. all the yeah. time. Yeah. And, uh, and Colossus says, yet. 
and uh, you know Kurt says bitte. Um, so you, they're introduced all over again, which then I wonder, does that happen in every single episode? <laughs> all right, often, often. Quite frequently. <laughs> How are you feeling about the, the visual spectacle otherwise, Barbara? Were you intrigued by any of the choices here? Yeah, so the first thing is that's mentioned is that they're they're dropped into Hong Kong. And then there's really very little that says Hong Kong in the pictures, yeah apart from the so there's the double page spread where we get the the background history um and that looks very chinese and then there's with the dragons and everything and there's the the red and gold borders all over the place but from the panels themselves you could hardly see that where they are but let alone that it's that it's hong kong um i guess partly again because there's usually a lot of characters in the way so <laughs> no yeah, room for lots of characters lots of characters in the way lots of confusing futuristic magical supernatural technology <laughs> he's got a lot of stuff to draw here for better or worse yes yes yeah magic but, as uh, well as science fiction mm-hmm. why stick to one of them exactly well i mean <laughs> more genres the better right uh, <laughs> but let me come back to the guys for some first impressions and then we'll get into some of these specific pages a little bit more andrew how are you feeling about this one i know you're coming in with some strong uh <laughs> anti-brian yeah, the energy anti- slander is annoying. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, but we, we've seen that trend right and, and again but here we're really doubling down on defining her through brian's power which i find annoying especially with the mm. character who we've been exploring her power creep yeah. um, it, it seems like it's a step back that that bugs me other than that, though, like, I don't hate this book from a writing perspective. I think Ben Robb is, is actually best when he tries to make Michael Bay films rather than Steven Spielberg films. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When, when he gives up on the nuance and just kind of embraces the spectacle. I think that's where his dialogue actually gets pretty good. Um, there's some good bits with Nightcrawler and Colossus um, during the battle exchanges that has a nice kind of back and forth to it. So there's stuff here that I like. Okay, that's positive. All right, Mav, how are you doing? Barbara earlier in her response said that, you know, she thinks it's a a credit because since you haven't read the previous issues and yet you still felt caught up, you thought Mm -hmm. that was good. So I have read the previous issues and I feel more lost than ever. Uh, (laughs) I I don't, I don't know when or where we are in any of this. I will Mm -hmm. agree with Andrew. The best parts of the comic are when it doesn't matter. And I, I sort of wish uh, this is a really confusing era of comics, right? Because I think Rob wants this to be good and good is not the direction he's going. I don't mean that like good. I don't, I don't, that sounds like an insult. I don't mean it like, like he, he wants it to be deep. I should say, let's put it that way. He wants it to be mm-hmm. introspective and like, there's a lot going on and there's the trauma of Brian Braddock and like, Oh my God, what's going to happen. And like, none of that doesn't matter. This is a book about people punching each other and looking pretty and like when he allows it to be that it is kind of interesting i start going i too would like a big red tattoo over my eye that looks awesome you know like you start, think- <laughs> you start thinking that but like when he tries to like get into this mythology and lore where three issues into this crimson dawn saga i think or four, four i still don't remember four. their names like, you know, we just we just sat there where you couldn't re- figure out how to pronounce it. It doesn't matter. Right. Like none of that matters. And if we just let it all go and let it wash over you and just sort of enjoy the vibe, it can be kind of enjoyable, like a Michael Bay film. But like 
what makes Michael Bay films good is, look, we're just going to we're going to do open heart surgery in this ambulance during a car chase. Why? Don't worry about it. That's a good Michael Bay film. (laughs) When you try to start getting into the lore of Cybertron and how swords from King Arthur fit in, no one cares. And that's a bad Michael Bay film. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good comparison. I like that. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's get get into some of the LaRocca of it all. And I'm... I'm going to start with an awful question for you, Barbara, which I, I know you're not going to be able to, to answer because it's one of those like explain comics to us in like a minute. But I don't know. We talked before we did the issue summary a little bit about how, you know, these techniques of gaps and fragments exist for all types of comics. But I don't know. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how those techniques are commonly used in superhero comics versus some other genres of comics. You know, like superhero comics obviously make use of the art of juxtaposition a lot, you know, often for for action purposes and stuff. But if you had to like sort of describe how sort of techniques of the gap and the fragment are particularly crucial to this genre of comics. I mean, what what are some of the things that that we might think about in terms of why those things matter here? I think uh, sometimes, uh, often, maybe what I notice is that you'll get panels that show sort of a setup, and then you'll get panels that show an effect. Uh, mm-hmm. So for a punch, for example, so you won't see the moment that someone someone's fists hit someone's jaw, but you'll see the the wind up to the punch and then you'll see someone flying through the room, that kind of thing. Here though, I found it sometimes a little confusing how the setup led to (laughs) the result that they would show afterwards. (laughs) Um, So it did feel like it was really being pushed in terms of what you can fill in as a reader. Cause sometimes like, "Mm, I feel like I missed something Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, and I think the that, Michael Bay analogy is, is is fit for that as well because it's just flashing lights and bodies moving in different directions. Yeah, sometimes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, without like a good sense of orientation. Yeah, I don't. We were talking a little bit offline before we started recording about the difficulty that we run into teaching sort of mass-produced, often hastily produced comics a lot of the times because <laughs> we want to talk about all of these choices in comics being very deliberate and intentional in terms of emphasizing the complexity of comics and yet mm-hmm. it becomes difficult when you're trying to teach or analyze or unpack a comic like this where a lot of the choices are made in the interests of quote-unquote looking cool which is an interesting dynamic to analyze in its own right i know we've all done some work on 90s comics and tried to <laughs> figure out what exactly looking cool involves and why it involves those things uh, we've had some great conversations on the pod about that but But yeah, it's a struggle here with a lot of these pages figuring out if I was going to talk about how this comic is inviting me to fill in the gap, you know, is it involving me or is it just alienating me because of, as you said, the amount of information I'm having to fill in to try to make some of these sequences make sense? And uh, I don't know. It's a good question. I think it's a little bit subjective, but certainly something that I had trouble with in some of these sequences, just figuring out how we got from the top of the page to the bottom of the page and where we are and what's actually happening so maybe let's talk about that a little bit more i know barbara that you that you highlighted some pages that you specifically wanted to talk about there's some ones that are particularly interesting to me as well but i don't know do you want to start us off is there a page that that you're particularly interested in talking about yeah so there's one that has really big spiral at the top and then it has a a sort of a horizontal panel 
with a zoom sound effect where right. Megan is is zooming off. That was one of and mine too. That I yeah I, I got kind of lost where th- people were in relation to each other mm-hmm. here. Spiral says she'll take care of it. Kurt says Danka. <laughs> so she does something <laughs> useful, does. but what exactly it is that she does that's so helpful to them uh, wasn't entirely clear to me. But then also, so Megan is in a huge hurry. She zooms off. But then later, she actually arrives at Brian's, wherever Brian is, later than everyone else. So <laughs> her, her zooming seems seems so... I don't know, ineffectual. I mean, I know that she gets uh, she gets sort of waylaid by Ziandu, who's who has to tell her that she, that their love is going to save the world. Um, but it seems to take so much longer than uh, yeah than everyone else uh, getting to, uh, to to the basement where Brian is being kept. Yeah, a good example of like the story and the art not working together. Anyway, Mav, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, this is one of those problems where Kurt forgets that he can teleport. Like, yeah. like at any point in which somebody's like, Megan, get there first. Kurt can literally be there instantly, always, mm-hmm. and can take people with him. So it that logic doesn't ma- doesn't make sense. Where where Megan went is Megan went to zoom off so that she could have a private moment with the ghost yeah. guy. Like yeah. that's <laughs> and the story. That's what we were talking about. The story falls apart when it tries to have too much logic. Like you know, you you could have just said. Megan, go find Yandu or whatever is like you like like that would do it right <laughs> if you just said that rather than trying to give her something to do because then you start thinking about it too hard. Yeah, I got very hypnotized by this page in terms of I mean again <laughs> if I had to do like a deep reading of this page I could totally come up with a bullshit analysis of this page that argued all of these choices totally makes sense you know Spiral's arm is overlapping the other panels to show the penetration of the mystical energy throughout this space and <laughs> it's about her ability to exceed narrative logic through her use of magic and yet I don't think that that's really what's going on I think it's what I would like to have going on because yeah we have her exceeding all of the panels we have her boots at the bottom we have her arm is bleeding that into what it is? two more overlapping panels I think that's what it is at the bottom <laughs> I was wondering what those feathery bits were that didn't connect to she does, I think it's her boots but yeah she doesn't... does wear furry boots she ah. wears like uh, she wears like furry go-go dancer stripper boots Gotcha. But it also seems too long because her leg, even with the foreshortening, her leg would be too long for that to be mm-hmm. there. So I'm not totally sure. But <laughs> but yeah, and then the bisecting of the zoom, I mean, that's interesting in theory, right? It's one of those dynamic juxtapositions that superhero comics do where we're moving from one direction to another direction. And in theory, that gives us an impression of the dynamism of super fast superhero movement. And yet, uh, I can't believe in that analysis. I don't think that's what's actually going on here. I think a lot of choices are just being made in the interests of non-narrative dynamism and it's frustrating to me because this is clearly an artist who has the potential to do some really cool things and yet not really coming across on a page like this for me yeah i don't know i don't know other pages that you were interested in talking about barbara i've got some i've got some ones that i that i want to pick your brain about (laughs) sure (laughs) like i really wanted to talk about the page it's a couple pages after that it's the one where brian is on the ground suffering and then his whole body is like sort of a splash but then we have like white panel borders layered on top of that mm-hmm. the one that the has above, above the battle rages on yeah that one yeah because that, that page 
that page I was interested in because I mean, what do you think inserting the panels here is kind of doing for us? Like it's an old technique in a lot of ways, you know, like, I mean, you even see that in something like Little Nemo and Slumberland, like having the larger spectacle and then having moments within that spectacle just indicated by the insertion of panel borders. And yet I could not for the life of me figure out why that was happening here and I don't even know what's happening. It kind of looks like Brian is punching himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, it, it looks like there's an attempt at iconostasis. So you can read it as a single image, even though right. it has these, it, the gutters interrupting, but then things don't, some things match up and other things really don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, then he's punching himself. And also, there's a thing where you think it's his arm still from the other panel, but his face is in that panel too. So then it's not the same arm. God, that's confusing. <laughs> I, like I, the longer I stared you look at, at it, it. Yeah, I know. The longer you look at it, the more weird stuff there is because I'm like, yeah, like he's overlapping into panels mm-hmm. in which he's also pictured. Yeah. <laughs> so, can can we bookmark that for a second? <laughs> Just like, yeah. and then you go forward several pages because that was one of the ones that I was wondering about. Yeah. But if you go forward several pages to the to the third from the page from the end, so right before the, you have a picture where Colossus does the same thing. And it's not dynamic. Um, it it right. is. This is literally just the team hanging out. And you know, if you look at it, Colossus exists across the panel borders, as do the other characters. But he's the one that crosses all three. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, it's not just a split. Like the panels are offset, weird. Because like if you if you were to squish it together, you'd see his his arms don't match up right. Like it it's just there's an offness to it that like Laruka can is a better artist so like it's clearly intentional and and it shows up again with uh, like I think that thing in the bottom left hand corner of the three panel triptych is I think it's Kurt's hand with a sword yeah. I think so if we go back to the Brian one where that's all over the place like the one that really st- stood out to me was the bottom panel on the Brian one which you see his fist on the his left fist on the right of the screen yeah. but then mm-hmm. he's punching next to it into the energy blast and then i realized it's just cubism that's what's going on <laughs> okay. and i like like i think what's happening is we are used to reading superhero comics in particular representationally because that's just what the medium is and we want to know where things are in space and i don't think they're interested in showing us this i think they're interested in giving us the vibe of chaos for this story and to be fair i think the first thing was and we should draw it and it should be cool as shit like i think that's how i think that's like where where it started but beyond that i think on the deeper level it's sort of giving us the impression of the totality of of brian's trauma and Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be representational because because we're in a comic we're not you know like if we were doing if we were teaching a if we were teaching courses on reading comics which is something that all four of us have yeah. done, <laughs> if we were, if we were doing, doing that, that we'd 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 go you know art doesn't have to be simple like you you can work and you can move beyond the boundaries and comics can do things that film can't do and comics can do things that the novel can't do like we'd say stuff like that and here's somebody doing that i mean is it the best is it the best incarnation of that but I, but I think that he's he's just experimenting with ex- with escaping the bounds of reality that might normally plague a regular image. 
Yeah, I I will say trying to figure out some of these pages does challenge me to explain why it's bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like that other page, like I could make an argument that it works and that I can understand why some of these choices are made. And yet for me, the pushback that I would have to the reading that you just did of this scene is that it is too representational, though, because he's got the hyper detailed 90s bodies going along with that chaos. And I think that's that's what makes it difficult because if the bodies were less representational, then I might be able to embrace that that cubism a little bit more. But mm -hmm. those two things are are sort of butting up against each other in a way mm. that I find confusing. I, I'm not saying the experiment works. I'm saying <laughs> yeah. he's experimenting, and yeah, I and I think because he clearly is like he didn't he didn't forget where Brian was. He drew Brian punching right past himself on purpose. Like that is a that is a choice that was made, and you know. Mm -hmm. We have criticized other artists for not really making choices. Mm -hmm. um, he made a choice here and it's a weird one, but like, is it any weirder than the, you know, than the absolute excess to the way that he's drawing Brian's body th throughout? Like it doesn't like he's, we've once again, again, got into this, this situation where Brian will be imbued with so much power. It will blow him up like a balloon and it's weird mm -hmm. and creepy looking. So, so this is a weird and creepy looking choice he's made. And I'm, I, I want to give him, even if I don't like it, I want to give him a little bit of leeway to, you know, sort of push himself as an artist, um, especially since I do like where he'll where he'll land at this, you know, two, three years from now, <laughs> long yeah. after he's left this book. Well, I mean, yeah, hey, I was I was drawing some powerful comics with the help of Bart Sears recently. And I will say that when, <laughs> when I look at a page like this, I do have a new appreciation of like, this looks really fucking fun to draw. And <laughs> I do like feel that physically. I'm like, oh man, like there's just so many lines and so much going on. And you'd be drawing it, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to add more stuff. Oh my God, this is so awesome. It keeps getting better. The more stuff I add and I can see like the juvenile <laughs> excitement of that coming across, even though I still think it's a bad page, but I don't know. Andrew, we haven't given you a chance to to talk about the excess of this particular issue. Do you have a page that you would like to talk about before we before we talk about the super sex of it all? Um, no, I, I think I'm in the same boat. The only the only page that I would call particular attention to is the one where Megan is empowering Brian, and we get this absurd distortion of his anatomy, um, which mm -hmm. kind of makes sense to me, like rhythmically, as a comic that is about, as Mav said, exploring excess. Uh, and I think that's what LaRocca is doing. I totally read this as um, LaRocca learning how to be LaRocca, frankly, which mm -hmm. is in some ways quite interesting to me, actually. Uh, but, but when we get that that final page, which is like the most distortion-y, and even the one we were already talking about before, kind of leading up to that, I, I do think there's a rhythm to the chaos that I kind of like. Like it gets weirder and weirder and weirder as Brian starts to come apart and come apart and come apart. And then the last few pages are actually, I mean, despite some weird choices with the panel division, um, are quite tame. Um, so I, I do think there's something cool happening there in a story that is essentially about siphoning energy. Um, mm -hmm. But I might be being the charitable person here. Hey, I'm all for being charitable. I like that. I mean, the, the I mean, the panels with the conversation between Brian and Megan are just like, yeah, those are very competent, very normal, very readable panels. All the choices there make sense to me. Yeah. But okay, well, let's talk about the super sex thing, because certainly it relates to that page that you just highlighted the let it go page. Definitely want to talk about that <laughs> a little bit more. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 
anyway, uh, I'll put you on the spot with a Barbara to talk about it a little bit if you want. I mean, was this just my my super sex glasses uh, reading too much mm-hmm. into the dynamics between Brian and Megan in this issue? Or did, did some of that super sexiness, and when I say super sexiness, it's not meaning that you have to th- believe it's sexy, I promise. But <laughs> as a motif, uh, did that kind of kind of come across to you here? Or, or is this just because we've been doing this podcast for too long? Uh, I had not thought of it until you mentioned it, and now I'm okay. totally seeing it. Um, and and the penis arms just can't be unseen. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a, a build up to that. Although then it's also like everyone standing there watching. So this yeah. this is a a, a very uh, public. It's it's very clearly I totally read it as climax of the story, but it's a climax in so many more different ways than I had mm. uh, maybe originally read it. Well, let me ask you maybe about the character of Megan a little bit as a way to, to as a way to get into that. I mean, this is your first time encountering this character. She is a character we like a lot, but that we also complain about a lot in terms of her not living up to her potential as a character. I mean, just based on this issue, what did you make of her as a character? Is she a character that is interesting? Is she just getting weighed down by tropes? I mean, what did you make of her? She's very obsessed with marriage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every other thing she says is, "I was still getting married," even in their last in their last conversation. So it 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 seems weirdly focused on that. And in this page, I also thought it was so funny that we get the their backstory, even as everything is exploding yeah. around them and they're siphoning energy and God knows what. Also, we get the recap of their love story from when they first met, which seemed like an odd time to be. Uh, to be telling us that. There's some really important excisions in that story that frustrate me a lot. <laughs> yeah, this didn't sound like we their met, story to me. yada, but... yada, yada, then we got married. <laughs> like, yeah. There was some stuff yeah. in there that happened before that, but okay. Yeah, I mean, there was like that fascist takeover of the world and Brian died and, you know, a abused, lot of stuff happened. Lots yeah. of abuse. The yeah. fact that he didn't love you because you were ugly and then you made yourself pretty. He's like, oh, I love you now. <laughs> Yeah. There's that. They yep. they they bonded through something, which it's is not specified. <laughs> well, she made him. She she made herself look like him. Oh, yeah. I love you now. Because <laughs> you look like me. Yeah, it doesn't come across in this issue, Barbara, that Megan is a empathic metamorph who shapeshifts her appearance uh, in response to the emotions of others, which is a really interesting dynamic for a female huh. character. That there's some interesting things in the previous comics but now she's just kind of become an energy energy weapon kind of character which is very different because uh yeah not having any shape shifting involved in this super sex is like i won't say it's surprising to me because this is the direction we've been going in with megan but when i remember from time to time oh right she's like an empathic metaphor morph that used to be her superpower (laughs) it's funny when it's like oh no she just has energy hands now it's fine (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I was in the letters. People are so fond of her as well, as as you guys are saying. As and that, it the reasons for that are not clear just from reading this issue. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. that's that's fair. Poor All right, man. well let's let's talk about it through our clearly super sexed adult brains a little bit. <laughs> like, I mean, I want to like this. I always like when we have when we have a super sex thing going on. I want to like the setup to it where it's like. You know, we talk about superpowers as metaphors for sexuality 
I do think the marriage component here is weird because it's like marriage is sort of standing in for the idea of sex here. Like it's justifying their their union in a lot of ways, which again, you don't have to do that. It's weird. This is 1997. You were allowed to have sex before marriage. We're not under the comics code anymore. It's fine. Still, we? well, we are, we are, but I mean, it's not the I mean, it's a different, code it's, a, it's, a, it's a very different code, but yeah, but I believe yeah. this is still, this yeah, is still no a code approved issue. It's still code era. It's still code era, but you know, yeah. the 1989 code is not the 1954 code and the, oh, yeah. the power it's of it obviously is right waning. On the cover. Yep. Yeah. But so you have this idea that the nature of their powers is important to the like romantic union that they have and the ways that their powers can work together to like save the world in an embodied physical sense. I mean, that is like Mm -hmm. a sex saving the world kind of idea, which I like in theory. And yet, (sighs) I don't know. I mean, is it just that I don't like Brian and Megan or like, why am I struggling? I mean, (laughs) Andrew and Mav, did you like anything about this scene? I mean, it's, it's very similar to some ones we've had in the past of like everybody contributing their power to Brian. He grows huge and ejaculates to save the world. I mean, this has happened before, (laughs) but like, was was this one interesting? I mean, maybe I'll let you take a stab at it first. Well, Andrew, because I know that you're 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 mad at it, but Matt and I are on the same page. You know, it's it's, it falls really flat, especially for the reasons you mentioned, because we've seen this done better, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and we've seen it done with more character consistency, more symbolic ramifications. This is just going back to the well for diminished returns by an author who, frankly, doesn't have the skill of some of the previous authors who attempted this with these characters so yeah no in all ways it falls flat to me how about you mav i'm not gonna blame him too much sometimes something just doesn't work um i I mean i don't think you're reading too much into it when you asked is it just your super sex adult brain and no i think he's trying to do it he this time being rob not um not laraka but actually with laraka's help i think they are attempting to do something with the metaphor. Like they, like you don't do everything they have of him, his shirt being ripped off and like the Excalibur thing that happens all the time of we're going to combine our powers and sensually and, you know, like, like Andrew just said, ejaculate and save the world. Um, it's just oh, that that was my line, Mav. Yeah. Oh, is that yours? Was, yeah. I'm that sorry. I am so sorry. I, what was I thinking? Of course it was. <laughs> but, but like, yes, that is that is a thing that happens in this book frequently. And sometimes we're going to be into it and sometimes not. Like there are, I don't know. Like uh, I, I have a massive crush on Rihanna. Sometimes I think she looks less attractive than she does other times. Does that matter? It's not her her job to attract me. It's not her job to attract me. What I'm saying is sometimes I'm more into her. I'm similarly, I'm, uh, I, I've talked about this a lot on my other show. I have a lifelong obsession with Prince. Sometimes Prince is sexier than other times to me. Now, other people might differ on when they think Prince is the sexiest or when they think Rihanna is the sexiest and (laughs) that's fine. It's just not everything's going to work all the time for all of us. And this kind of doesn't because I'm less interested in I'm less interested in the story of, oh, Brian really loves Megan. Megan really loves Brian and this and they will cement themselves as a forever couple. I just don't care. So no matter how pretty it ever ends up being, I don't care enough about them in order to be emotionally invested in their sexy metaphor. So like, that's, that's a problem. And then even if I were, I think it would fall flat because I just think it wasn't done the best this time. I think sometimes, sometimes things don't look, you know, and maybe tomorrow I'll be into them again. Right. I mean, 
I, I know that there are better things that happen with these characters. So yes, but here it just, it fell flat. Like not every swing hits. It's fine. Like, you know, people strike out sometimes. I don't know. I can, <laughs> I can talk myself into this page. I mean, it does have a lot of the elements of super sex that I find interesting. Like the narrative is at war with the visuals in some ways. There are moments it's working together and there are moments that it's not. I mean, in the, in the two little inset panels of Megan's face and Brian's face, that is an interestingly sexualized image in mm. terms of like pleasure and pain merging on their faces. And I'm always interested when a female character's face is like that as well, because that is an ambiguous expression like you can read it as a pleasure expression you can read it as a pain expression and sometimes that does negative things because women are often put in disturbing you know bondage scenarios which are not fun in the superhero comics bondage scenarios can be very fun in other comics and other situations but sometimes they're not fun in these types of comics because they're about humiliation instead of pleasure mm. But here I do find the ambiguity of those expressions interesting because it feels like she's exerting agency because of the literal physical power that she has here and she's contributing her power to his in a way. And yet here's, okay, here's, here's my thing. On the level of narrative, I don't like the super sex happening here because she's channeling his power through her, which is, you know, very phallic and very kind of boring to me. And yet the image would be her penetrating him from behind yes, as he swells with power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the image is giving me more complexity and allowing me to think about this a little bit more queer queerly than the narrative alone is doing. So that's some of the stuff that excites me about super sex. And you know, yeah. the diffusion, the diffusion of energy, you know, the fact that <laughs> he barely has like you know, a visible bulge in his pants. And yet we have the, you know, penis arms in place of that, which is funny in terms of, you know, okay. dis displacement. And yet it's interesting too, because this male body can swell in different ways and ejaculate in different ways. And there's an underlying queerness to that if you're going to choose it, to read it that way. Can I ask a question about it then? Sure. So we've, we've talked about this before on the show. Like I, uh, so I don't necessarily fall the same place as you on, on super sex all the time, which is fine. I don't need it to be as queer as I, I, I think it could be completely interesting if it were a completely heteronormative metaphor. I think it could be completely interesting if it were a completely queer metaphor. I think this can be read either way. I think the flaw in what makes it not interesting is it's just not very good. It's not his best artwork. It's not the best storytelling of it. I like even to take the thing that we both noticed, which is Megan is in the sexually superior situation. She is topping Brian here. And yet it is boring to me. Like looking at it, mm -hmm. I just I am bored by it conceptually. So I'm wondering, is it that you want to like it or do you actually think that there is something interesting here? Because I, I, I mean, I could look for stuff, but it just feels like I don't want to work this hard <laughs> is, where, is where I'm yeah. at, you know, again, I'm just interested in it from the perspective of you know, sometimes the gaps in superhero mm -hmm. comics, and it can be, you know, the tension between words and art, which is exacerbated by the excessive bodies we have in this space by the fact that we do have super powerful women whose bodies work in excess okay. of tropes of female bodies in the real world that mm -hmm. does create these possibilities and that is going to excite me on a page like this and you know we haven't we barely talked about the voyeuristic aspect of it like mm -hmm. the various reactions of the team members to this spectacle and like the fact that they're mostly horrified and yet intrigued <laughs> and can't look away i mean that's an interesting aspect of it too 
for me. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like they just watched their two friends get off in the quote unquote weird way that they get off. And they're like, wow. Oh, mm, uh, maybe. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know. I want to. I want to. Most of them have seen it before. It. It's yeah, like, get true. over yourselves. Like, you, <laughs> like you've, you've seen it before. Half of you have been involved. So, yeah, <laughs> you know. It's true. It's true. All right. I thought well, Kitty, I've, said, I've said my piece on it. Yeah, go ahead, Barbara. Kitty, they're saying it's over just like that. I totally felt like that yeah. as well. I was like, what, what just happened here? You get this tiny little <laughs> white panel where apparently that's the, the culmination of everything is that tiny little white panel. And then it's over. I, what happened? I think it's partly maybe that 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 moment is on the cover as well. So maybe that stands in for like we already spent our drama on the cover, so it doesn't need to be here again. But I would I totally was with Kitty in her uh, confusion. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I did find that funny from a super sex perspective, too. You know, Kitty, a person with the power to phase inside of people and do lots of creative things with that, who, you know, once made Rachel explode everybody with cream pies, uh, is very like, is that it? That, that's that's all you got? I mean, you, you did this and it's over so quickly? Anyway, Kitty, not impressed. Uh, all right, let's go to some final thoughts. Uh, I think I've waxed uh, enough about super sex. So let's see what we've all got in terms of stuff that we didn't get a chance to talk about from this issue. I'll come back to you first, Andrew. Any uh, moments, dynamics, pages, scenes, ideas you want to circle back to or that we didn't get enough of a chance to talk about? Uh, sure. Two two small things. The, the first is maybe already touched upon, but um, I do like the way Rob handles these scenes of um, Kurt leading and trolling the enemies. That's mm. That's very fun for me to see that actual swashbuckling. Um, which he's so famous for, but seldom gets to use lately. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then the other thing that I really liked, because I think I'm just a sucker for it. I like spiral melodrama. I like it when that character yeah. is cryptic and brooding and my God, the things I have seen, I can't even tell you because they would break your mind. Um, yeah. So I was, I, I was enjoying that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he has been having some fun. Like Rob has been having some fun with, with spiral sort of alluding yeah, to the so. larger context and complexity of that character. I felt that in his writing of her. Um, how about you, Mav? Anything you want to circle back to? I mentioned it briefly. Well, it's two things. Uh, the first I mentioned briefly before, which is the, you know, it's fun when you get photo Photoshop on the first day. I remember that day. Uh, I think I first got Photoshop back in 1992. And it was just like, oh, look at all the cut stuff you can do. And oh, look at that. I can hit this button, you know, Apple I, and that turns it into an inverse. It, it, it just does an mm -hmm. adjustment layer that just reverses the color and essentially makes a film negative. That's mm -hmm. neat. But I never published any of those <laughs> because, <laughs> because I realized that there had to be more. There had to be more than just inverting the colors. And the fact that they they use this effect several times in this issue to go that Brian's going through some negative stuff. I'm like, eh, <laughs> you can do better. And then the other thing is just the actual ending. The actual ending of this book is yeah. We, we need to Brian talk about that. Yeah, Brian doesn't have superpowers anymore. I guess I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why I'm supposed to feel bad about it because he didn't like them anyway. He was, you know, he spent like literally the last couple dozen issues going. I just want to be a scientist. I don't want to have to be Captain Britain. And okay, now you're not. But now you're like, okay, I'm not Captain Burden anymore, but I have to go find myself. And, you know, please don't break up with me. But I understand if you do, <laughs> you bitch. 
Like, what, what is it? Like, it is the weirdest passive aggressive thing after he's lost the thing that he did not want in the first place. And where, what is he going to find? Because again, you don't want to be a superhero. You just want to sit there and build flying cars. Now's your opportunity. So, yeah. eh, I, I, like, I don't know what, like, I honestly, these last two pages of the comic, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be feeling. And I've been reading this book for 110 issues. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I don't know what I'm supposed to, supposed to go do here. Yeah, it's super, super weird. And I get that he just wants Megan on her own to kind of, you know, like, I mean, I don't hate the impulse to develop Megan separate from Brian. And at least, sure, regardless of your feelings on the Megan You're Colossus. You're talking about Ben story, Rob, not Brian. Yeah, yeah, Ben Rob. Regardless mm -hmm. of your of your mileage on the Megan Colossus flirtation that we're going to have in the pages of this book pretty much until the end of it from this point on, you know, I do like having her experiment with being attracted to other people as a way to sell me more on the Brian thing. I, that's not a bad impulse, but like what happens, like this relates to my feelings about the previous super sex and, you know, it gets back to that, you know, queer versus heteronormative thing because there's nothing wrong with, you know, a, pa a lovely page of a lady getting off by being imbued with the fabulous phallic force of her partner. You know, I'm not against that, mm -hmm. but like what happens here is that he's humiliated by that, you know, mm -hmm. like he's humiliated by what happened and has become powerless to a degree that he has to leave her to go reconnect with his masculinity, sort of, because he can't do that in her presence. And like that as a payoff for what happened, that's kind of what makes me have negative feelings about it, because they had this wonderful moment of union that was, you know, the faded end of their partnership with their powers and their bodies and their romance all contributing to this world saving moment. And yet at the end of it, he's like, oh, I've lost my power and I need to go off on my own so that I can be a man who is able to marry you. And it's like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. No. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> Can I point off, point out one last final thought that's not exactly related to that, but it's just the thing that I noticed when seeing this, that when reading this, that you're never going to be able to unsee. Different people have different fetishes for different things, and you know they're <laughs> and they're developed in however they're going to. It's not the penis arms, I promise. Um, they're developed in however they're going to be developed, and there's a, there's a lot of psychological research into the argument that like for young boys, what happens is you know there's a point where you reach your sexual awakening, and whatever you're envisioning at that time that does that is what becomes your fetish in a way. <laughs> In a way this happens often is like feet. People have feet fetishes because if they if they become sexually excited for the first time around like five or six or seven, when they're like under a table a lot, you know, or they're just around adults and they're, you know, and they're they're seeing the feet of like their mom's friends. And this is the thing that actually happens in psychological research into sex. You know, the kinds of stuff that weirdos like us read for fun. And the reason I bring this up is because apparently for Laraka, this is under boob. There is so much. Go through and look. In this particular <laughs> issue, there's with Spiral, with the Crimson Dawn lady, yeah. with Megan, with not so much with Kitty, but a little bit. Um, there's a lot of just going at exactly the right angle that you can see the bottom of the boob. Happens mm -hmm. throughout this book. Like a lot, like distractingly enough for me to have made note of it. And now you're going to go back through and look at it. And you're going to be like, oh, my God, wow, is it there a lot? <laughs> I, have no, I, I have nothing to do with it other than that. <laughs> yeah, I was noticing the amount of yes. boob in this comic. Uh, he does under a lot boobs, of things. Specifically under boob. Yeah, specifically, specifically. You know, every, every great artist has got to put their specific spin on... Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> on boob stylings and uh someday i will make a chart but anyway <laughs> uh my little one was just a little funny one it was a little exchange between kurt and the big guy from the crimson dawn whose name i continue to refuse to know and like the dialogue here I we're never gonna funny. see him again it's fine nope. <laughs> so Kurt is fighting the sword fighting this guy he's like i am a mutant born with a variant chromosome that not only gives me amazing powers but makes me a dashingly handsome fellow and then the guy says back to him looks alone cannot help you sustain so fleet an attack for long mutant and i mean <laughs> he's like yeah i agree you're super yeah. handsome but i'm gonna defeat you anyway and i'm like okay and i mean the variant chromosome thing was fun too from a from a gendery perspective but um barbara coming to back to you to wrap up our weird discussion of this issue that went in a lot of different directions um anything that you would like to circle back to or bring up before we close off our convo i really was ready for someone to die it on the cover it says <laughs> the hero must fall and uh even still on that on on the page with the climax it it does say each becoming a rock upon which the other could implicitly depend till death do they part mind never mind the grammar but you know i thought okay now someone's dead but no he was just emasculated and uh and lost his powers so i was almost a little disappointed that, that kill them <laughs> but then the last two pages really were sort of arresting for my eyes just nice mm. nice calm mm. horizontal panels um <laughs> and uh after after all the heart to sort of track where things were going um these were very very nice and quiet <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. an argument on behalf of the very sophisticated pacing of this comic no doubt <laughs> Uh, I'm going to just close off with a little little segment of one letter. This is from Danny Shelton. And uh, I'm just going to highlight a couple of parts of this one. Of course, the part where, where they talk about Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler, my personal favorite. I love everything about the new him. The earring, the new haircut, and the swords. But I like the old outfit better, or even the outfit he had in 107 when he teleported down to help Wisdom. That was also a pretty cool suit. Also, in issue 94 of Excalibur, they were in Future Past, and Nightcrawler was with Megan. Oh, this is wonderful how she put it. Please have Megan break up with Brian and take Nightcrawler. She's going to take him. And she also has a, a well, I don't know the gender of this person. They also have a funny little comment about Colossus. Colossus, awesome mutant. He seems to get bigger each time I see him. Indeed. (laughs) Indeed, Danny. My pride broke it. My rage broke it. This excellent knight who fought with fairness and grace, was meant to win. I used Excalibur to change that verdict. I've lost, for all time, the ancient sword of my fathers, whose power was meant to unite all men, not to serve the vanity of a single man. We will wrap things up there other than to say, Barbara, thank you so deeply for joining us. Um, I've been wanting to have you on the pod since day one, and I'm so happy that I finally mustered the courage to make you talk about this comic. Um, before we I'm go, very happy you did. <laughs> we need to remind our lovely <laughs> listeners of the things that you get up to, past, present, and future. So yeah, remind remind folks of, of places that they can find some of your work, Barbara. Or if you want to be found online, remind them of that as well. Yeah. I'm very boring online, so I'm on LinkedIn and ResearchGate, and some of my articles are there. But um, I'm just going to keep going with my wordless comic thing, so at some point that'll be a book. 
amazing. And people can, of course, pick up uh, narrative structure in comics wherever fine books are sold, which we very much encourage them to do so. (laughs) Thank you. Anyway, yeah, thanks so much again. So next, in my text of this script, it says we're talking about Excalibur minus one, but that is not correct. We talked about that last week. We are going to be talking about Excalibur number 111 next week, in which the team goes to dinner, but only some of them come as themselves. We've got a possession angle in that one. We'll get into it. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out the fab YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, which you can find via our website or the Vox Popcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur, let us know. You can reach out via our website goshgollywow.com where we've got some fun extras and via twitter at twitter slash x slash blue sky um <laughs> at goshgollywow where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras thank you mav and andrew for another explosive convo thank you barbara for making sense of fragments with us thank you all for listening and a special thanks to maximilian of thought form music for our truly epic theme song play us out we're on blue sky. <laughs> well we aren't but maybe by the time of this recording we will I've got like six invites. So yeah, okay. <laughs>